Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, and welcome into episode 89, the Dicka episode. We're not going to be talking with Mike Dicka today. It's the House of L podcast, and I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm excited every week for the guests that we have on. I always feel like they have incredible insight. I enjoy learning things about media that I don't know about it, and our our guest this week definitely fits the bill, man. He is he is someone who has a very strong opinion on what is and what isn't good journalism and specifically good sports journalism. He's someone that I really like. I I'm he's I love Gordon Widmeyer. And let me tell you why. He's another one of these guys like Joe Cowley. And if you didn't listen to the Joe Cowley episode, I would highly recommend that you go listen to it because I think it's a good companion for this episode. They're they're similar in the way that they think about the craft and how important the craft is. And they actually do have an idea of what it is to do it the right way. So Gordon was nice enough. We had been talking for months about trying to figure out a time when he could come and hang out like so that we could talk one-on-one I didn't want to do it over the phone I I thought you know at worst we could do a zoom but baseball reporters are so busy because it's it is the longest beat to cover like right now like if you're a Bears beat reporter yeah there's stuff that's going on but you don't have to be at the facility you're not you don't have to go cover the Super Bowl or the Senior Bowl, but you can. With baseball, it just seems like it's relentless. It is, I think, the hardest schedule to do in sports. So I've been trying to gather up as many baseball people as I can while they have some free time, which is usually after the World Series, but before spring training. But there's also... You know, winter meetings, GM meetings in there, fan convention type stuff. And with the Cubs convention coming up this week, I thought Gordon would be a really good person to talk to. Now, we're going to try something new with this episode. I've never put bonus stuff in the episode. This episode is going to be more about journalism. But I couldn't have Gordon in the building with me and not talk Cubs. So there's going to be bonus stuff. That is just Cubs stuff inside the episode. And I've never done that before. So hopefully I'll get that right and you'll be able to uh, get the the information that you need. So this is our conversation. We had a really good time. I think he's one of the more interesting people in Chicago media. 
And I think that he's getting ready to do some bigger stuff. I think he's getting ready to do some brand extension, and I'm all, I'm all about helping him do that if, if that's what he wants to do. But you'll find out like why it is that sometimes you'll hear Gordon in a press conference or you'll read something that he writes in the Sun-Times and be like, damn, Gordon's going hard. Well, there's a reason behind that. And, and he takes his responsibility as being a conduit to the fans very seriously. There's some great advice in here. There's some great stories in here. So without further ado, episode 89, Sun-Times Cubs beat reporter, Gordon Wittenmeyer. In my case, it was less sports generally than, than baseball specifically. And, uh, you know, started in high school, uh, my interest in that, and writing as well. Um, so uh, once the... Uh, once, once the baseball career ended, <laughs> as early as it did. Where, where did it end? Oh, uh, roughly seventeen years old. What, what position did you play? Uh, infield. I was a first baseman. Played some third base. I caught. Oh yeah, yeah. I caught through college. Oh wow, wow. How, how close did you get to? Uh, I got, I got, uh, I got three. I, I joke about this on the podcast a lot. I got three invites to like the regional tryout. Oh, that's outstanding. So I got invited for the Marlins, the Expos, and the Braves. And with the Braves, it was the Marlins. With the Marlins, I made it through to the hitting. So, like, they get you in there, you run. And I was fast enough, which was the most shocking thing. Like, I did a 60-yarder in, I think, 7.2 seconds. Which, nice. considering that I yeah, caught, catcher, yeah, it's pretty. But I was going to move. Obviously, they were going to move. You had about a me. second and a half on me. <laughs> yeah, well, they, if you didn't do eight, they sent you home immediately <laughs> after that. Um, and it was fun. Like I, I still love playing. I wish I, I, I was joking uh, about Sahada. I was like, man, I'd love to get into the cage and have someone talk about how long my swing is now <laughs> at forty four versus what it looked like at twenty two. Did did you were there any prospects of you playing beyond seventeen? No. Or did you just play because you loved it? I played because I loved it. I mean, I, you know, I was good for my age at various points. Uh, I went to some open tryout camps just because I didn't want to give up the dream until somebody told me I sucked, and that happened a couple of times. So I just I gave it up. Okay. So then you said, well, let me. Did you know right then and there? Well, I want to stay in baseball. So the way to stay in it is to to cover baseball. It kind of all happened at the same time because I was a sports editor in my high school paper. Um, I used to <laughs> I used to send letters. I, I grew up in the Seattle area. I'd, I sent letters to the Mariners and got press passes every year to go do some interviews. I would make up reasons why we needed to talk to whoever. I went and did a feature on Ron LaFleur because I saw the movie. <laughs> and, and I kind of had a thing for one of the ball girls, uh, so I interviewed her even though she went to some high school 30 miles away from my high school. And so, uh, yeah, I made up reasons. But they... It was the Mariners in the early 80s. They, they, they had trouble getting people to go to their press box, so I would get press passes every year. So you were just like, I, someone needs to cover them. Why not it be me? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I kind of exaggerated the interest in the team in my high school. Did you cover any other sports? I covered every sport coming up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, you, you get into it to want to do, you know, baseball. And you wind up doing everything back, you know, back when I started and you can talk to some of the guys like Gonzo on the beat, uh, you know, back in our day, you started covering preps and uh, and you 
you really had to put in your time and, and pay your dues. And uh, I remember, I, so my first, my first real full-time job was in Fort Lauderdale. I actually quit school to take it. And uh, I was covering, oh, I, it was a community, I, I was in our community sports zone. I covered preps, covered whatever else was going on in the community. They put me on auto racing part-time, so I, I, you know, I was doing preps one, one week in the Indianapolis 500 the next week, um, and uh, I, I covered Hialei. I did features on shuffleboard. I mean, really, literally probably every sport uh, you can imagine. And uh, then eventually um, I got my shot at, at baseball um, a bunch of years later. I always think it's interesting because I, I started in preps too. Um, how to do this job, you almost have to become an expert and then completely like move on to the next thing. So when you were you were approached about covering things that you maybe didn't have any experience in, how did you go about trying to become expert enough to report on it? I'll give you a perfect example. My first job in Lauderdale, I was probably three months into the job, and uh, the auto racing beat came up. Back then in the, in the late 80s in Fort Lauderdale, they spent a lot of money. I mean, we, we did both Daytona races. Uh, Tampa had a couple of races. Uh, there were local races in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. And, of course, we did Indianapolis. And we did Indianapolis two and a half weeks from, from pole day to the race. Uh, so it was, it was a significant beat. And when they offered it to me, I was immediately, uh, hesitant because I was like, I've never, I don't know anything about cars. You know, I can change a tire and check some oil. Uh, so I called, um, I called one of my mentors who had actually used to work there, uh, Bill Plaschke. Um, and, uh, and he gave me some great advice. Uh, he said, take the job. I said, well, I don't know anything about cars. And he said, you don't have to. Write about the people. Who cares about the cars? Just write about the people. You can cover any sport. So I said, okay. So I wrote about the people. Hmm. And, uh, and, and you wind up learning as you go, uh, and you learn everything that's relevant, um, newsworthy, and, and so on as you go. So I, I became, I, don't, I wasn't anything close to an expert, but I was capable by, by the time you know I, I put in what, two or three years on that. Um, and it was a really good, strong move to make. So after that, it really didn't matter what sport it was. You know, you, you can really cover anything if, if you approach it the right way. If you approach it like a, you know, like a journalist, if you've got any sort of training in how to do this job at all, you can do it. What are the things that you hope that journalists who are coming up behind you what from your experience do they need to know about how to do their job better, even as some of the technology changes, the companies change? What things will be steadfast rules that they can use to be good? This shit ain't easy. It's not as easy as a lot of people seem to think it is. I don't know how many times I'll be on the road somewhere at a ballpark and some stringer will come up to me, and usually a young person, and, and, and you know, it's not their fault. It's, it's the people that are just sending them out there raw without any direction at all. And they'll say things like, hey, when does the manager talk? Or worse yet, when does the coach talk? But that's, a, that's another issue. But uh, when does the manager talk? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, you really, you're showing up for their spoon-fed access, and, you pr- and, and nine times out of ten, 
the, the, the stringers or the out-of-town reporters don't come in prepared. They don't come in with they, – they go to listen. And so those of us on the beat – and there, there are times when only two of us, two of the regulars of us are, are traveling on a given trip. We'll be providing all the material. And we've actually worked out systems where we work around that and we make sure we don't provide the material. Um, but uh, you w – when – you know, hey, back in my day, you know, when I walked five miles in the snow to get to Uphill, a freaking both ways. ball game, um, <laughs> you know, if somebody sent me out somewhere cold, that scared the crap out of me. I made sure I, I remember the first time I covered a hockey game. It was just some dumbass minor league hockey game. I'd never covered a hockey game before. And the guys in the office were making fun of me. I grabbed the NHL rule book and I read it cover to cover because <laughs> they were they were they were making fun of it. Oh, you better know what, what a blue line is. And I had no freaking idea. Uh, and so I read it all, and I didn't need any of it. But, but that's you, – you prepare, and you go read clips, and you, you, you find out what the stories are. You figure out what whoever you're working for wants, and then you go in and prepare. I always had ideas. I had story ideas. Um, I had backup ideas. But you don't go in and just – and again – Uphill both ways? Is that what you said? Uphill both ways. Yeah, yeah. Back so in your day. Back in, in my day. In the snow with no shoes. Look, when I started, and, and you know, some of the guys in, in town have been covering baseball longer than I have, but when I came in in, in, the, in the late 90s, um, there, there were only a, a couple of managers in all of baseball that had a set time with their entire media pregame. So if you needed your manager – you found him, and you had a story you were working on or a couple of questions for updates or whatever. There was You found him for the reason you had, and, and that's missing in the game today. That's missing across the board in sports, and, and, and the, the access time is down. Um, players hide out more with all these luxurious clubhouses. Uh, I, I know that, some, that it's even worse in some other sports, uh, but the, the thing that I would stress to young writers today is understand that that's not the job. Showing up and listening and writing, writing the landscape of what's said that day because you were there to see it and hear it isn't the job. The job is to find out stuff. The job is to report. And if the, and if the job is to go write a feature, then the job is to go research what's an interesting feature and then go do your work on it. Um, that isn't gone from the there's a lot of good young writers out there that are really doing a good I mean strong fundamentally sound basic journalism out there so I don't want to I'm not painting with a broad brush when I say this this is an industry driven thing this is a sports industry driven thing where they want they if you rock their boat they get angry or they withhold a little bit or they cold shoulder you a little bit if you're the if you're the one guy that wants one-on-one -on -one access to something or if you're the one guy that's writing it writing a different what they try to call narratives um, if you're doing your job right journalism isn't a narrative it's it's breaking through the narratives of the people in power and that's what our jobs are whether we're covering the white house whether we're covering the cubs or whether we're covering simeon high school so it's that's our job, and if you think your job is sports, then you're in the wrong field. I, I agree with you on this, and 
I, I do wonder what the the effect is of the the access and the threats about access and what what is that done? And I look at it more from the editorial in your job, the editorial side uh, or from our bosses on the programming side. Like, are they saying, well, don't don't mess up the access, even though what you're attempting to do is to bring the fan in closer to understand why things are happening so how would you tell a young reporter to navigate some of those pitfalls of being afraid that their access is going to be yanked or that their bosses are going to get mad at them because their access might get yanked because they're asking hard questions or doing things that are kind of off the beaten path? Right. And, and there's some of that out there. There's, there's probably more of it out there now than there, than there used to be. There's even 10 way years ago. more that I'm comfortable with yeah. now. I, I can tell you that much from a lot um, of different beats. Now, from my experience, we, we still run a pretty independent operation. Um, I've had some, some scrapes here and there, and, and my bosses uh, have unwaveringly uh, backed our position. And, and so that's the way it should be done. Uh, that's the way it used to be done most of the time. And, and, and there's still a lot of places that probably do that. I know that there's some, some other outlets that, whether it's because they have relationships with the team, it might, might be a, something, something as simple as sponsorship relationships or partnerships with the team. And, and so there's punches that get pulled and, 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 and some things that, that don't get written. And we hear every now and then we'll hear stories about that, right, and, and, and sometimes from other markets. Um, where a story gets pulled or a story gets sat on. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's, maybe it's important news. There have been some really big yeah. you know, news stories that have been sat on at the highest levels of big journalism. Time. Some of that stuff going on uh, uh, back east in New York with some of the, uh, the Epstein stuff. And stuff yeah. and the Epstein stuff, yeah. Um, so uh, you have to do an honest job. That's what it boils down to. No tricks, no, no, no deceit, no, no angling back doors. You come at the, 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 the people you're covering. Look, it, there's not, it's not a matter of disrespecting anybody. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for the people I cover. It's hard to do what they do. It's really hard to do what they do. Um, it, it's certainly harder to succeed in baseball and keep a job in the major leagues um, than it is to make my deadline, even though I make it seem harder than, than their job sometimes. Uh, <laughs> So, so if you start from a position of respect, but then you also have to respect the job you're doing, and you have to stand up for that job. So, you know, if I'm working on a story and it's and I ask honest questions and and I try to, uh, you know, you, you you try to respect uh, where somebody's coming from, but you know, you call bullshit where there is where you where it is to call, and and if what I've found out over all these years is that there, there are people that get it in the game, whether they're executives, um, managers, players. Uh, and, and, you know, being a beat writer is a different, um, a different animal because you're there every day. So if you write something, you're, you're there the next day, and that matters too. But if you're honest about your approach and you tell them what you're working on and then that's what you write about um, – you know, if if they have fault with it, you know, they're not going to like the stuff you write. Um, maybe most of the time, I, I, I don't know. But if you if you're doing it honestly, and you're in it for the reader, because that's w why we do this. That's that's who we're writing for. 
then uh, then you can live with it, and, and your bosses should be able to live with it. Um, you know, it, if you have to make compromises beyond that, you know, you do what you have to do, but the, the people you work for or whatever, I guess, uh, it's not the way I do it. It's not the way I think it should be done. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's middle ground there, but if you, if you do it with, with respect and you do it honestly, you can, you can honestly criticize, and you can honestly criticize harshly sometimes. And uh, the people that get it over the years seem to at least grudgingly respect that. And the ones that don't, the ones that try to show you up in a clubhouse or you know, you know, try to intimidate you, they're never going to get it. And who cares? Who cares about those guys? You know, the, uh, you know, the, those those tend to be the guys that also don't treat the fans well, or the, when the cameras go down, they're dicks. You know, and then they're happy when the cameras are on. Um, so who cares what they think? Uh, you, you know, you do your job honestly and with some the best level of integrity you can, and the best level of effort you can, and you try to be right. Um, and th- that's all you can do. You can be as specific about this as you want. What types of people do you like to talk to to get information? Like who who makes your job fun and interesting? It can be a specific person. It can be a type. Wow. I mean, I th- it feels like you're asking two questions because uh, when it comes to talking to people for information, I mean – Obviously, the closer to the horse's mouth, the, the, that's where you like to go. That's um, uh, I enjoy the people that have been around the game a long time. There are some players over the years that just for whatever reason, maybe just being around them for a long time, or because of the, the way their personalities match up. I've you know, I've, I've uh, developed you know good relationships with him, good good working professional relationships with him. I really enjoy some of those people. I mean, David Ortiz was one of those guys when I used to cover him in Minnesota. Just and he's just who he is. And and you think whatever you want. I mean, it, he's just a he's just a, a bigger than life personality and character. And then uh, when he went to the Red Sox, he backed it all up for a decade, uh, and uh, and never changed. He was the same the same guy. Uh, so I, I don't know if I'm at. No, no, this is exactly what uh, I was, like people like people who have been around the game. Yeah, and there's and there's you know there's some scouts that have been former players and you know and, and after games a lot of times you drink you wind up in scouts a lot of times stay in the same hotels we do. Uh, I've gotten to know a few of those. <laughs> Spent some late nights <laughs> hanging around a few of them and uh, yeah, the, there's still some stories out there that make the rounds from. Well, we won't. We don't have to go into all those. Not in depth, but but what what is it like on the road to be a baseball beat reporter? Is a whole different. I did football. I was the Bears beat reporter for eight seasons. Football beat and travel very different. That's bankers' hours, man. It's great. It's really great. And I try to explain that to people how great it is. But even traveling for a game, you're you're in the city for twenty four hours, and then you're you're back home because they're having a press conference. With baseball, the traveling is arduous. It's brutal. Um, okay, so basketball and hockey have more flights, and there's this quicker turnaround for, for a six-month season. But baseball, 
it starts with the worst training camp. I mean, in terms of in terms of a family life or stability in your life in, in any in any way, it's the worst training. Camp. You're, you're oftentimes a thousand or more miles away from from home, and it's constant six weeks without end. And, and it's at seven a.m. Good Lord, yes. And when I before I came to Chicago, I covered three other teams and spring training in every case was wall to wall with those teams. There was no break at all. In Chicago there's a there's a four day break in March that you, you arrange and they and then you know, I get to fly home and reintroduce myself to my wife and kid and then and then turn right around and go back. Um, but that it does that doesn't exist anywhere else in sports. I mean, you know, other training camps are lo- basically local. Yep. Um, so so there's that, and and it used to be, and then you know, so the digital age has meant writing more during the day, writing earlier during the day, uh, and that kind of thing. One of the things with the, some of the declines in, in, in newspapers has meant less emphasis sometimes on the. Uh, we used to turn out massive preseason sections every year and so and in my case you know i'd be the only baseball writer on the staff at other places i turned the whole thing out myself so you're you're covering spring training every day and then at the end of spring training you know a, a week to go or whatever you've got deadlines for all these stories you're doing in these special sections uh so when the season starts you're exhausted you feel like this you feel like you've already put in a season and then it's the opener and everybody's fresh and happy and ready for the opener and you're the grumpiest guy in the place like jesus let's get this let's get this over because there's now 162 games yeah yeah it's just starting <laughs> right and so uh yeah and then and then once it once it kicks in at that point it's almost easy because there's a routine you're home for a week, gone for a week, home for a week, gone for a week. And, and um, again, in Chicago, which was different than other places I worked, they, they have the built-in home weekend series off. So you can count on that. You can always kind of count on this, this little window of, of breather uh, at some point. And sometimes it's just the luck of the schedule. It, it might be 20, 25 days in, and then, oh, boom, you get a weekend off. But then maybe you get two out of three weekends off. You How know? valuable is that? Huge. That's That's – the way that this off season may be accepted, um, the way the off seasons go nowadays, uh, and especially the last couple of years when when free agency went all the way into February and March, um, there's not a lot of true downtime in the off season because even when you might not be writing that day, you're constantly you're either making phone calls, you're checking in with your people, you're 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 following whatever might be online, you're you're trying to you're you're following breadcrumbs and and you're you're on call constantly, but during the season, that's it's so big those those three days that you get here and there because you know somebody's covering for you, and unless there's something just extraordinary going on, that's your time. That and, and, and that is almost now the only time that you just is just yours, where you can count on not being on call. Who inspired you to write? Because it's one thing to say, I want to cover baseball. It's another thing, and, and back then there weren't as many options electronically. Back then the only electronic option was there wasn't even really sports radio when you started. There was You could be on television. So who, who did, did you lean on and say, I want to learn how to write like X? Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned Bill Plaschke earlier. He was, 
he was I worked at the Seattle PI as a copy boy, Seattle Post Intelligencer. It's now out of business. Um, and in the 80s, this is mid-80s, he was um, our Mariner's beat writer, and he was like, I don't know, 26 years old or something like that. And at the time, that was very, very rare. Now, you see that all, at, uh, all over the place now, but back then that was rare. In fact, um, I remember one of the national magazines did a story on the baseball beat and he was the example they used as the youngest beat writer in the country. And he was also really, really good. And, and you know, he, he came, came up w- with, a, with a writer's instinct. And, uh, I mean, some of the leads he wrote, some of the feature ideas that he had, never mind being able to execute them, were r- really cool. Like, like, so I wanted to be like him. But I also w- wanted to, you know, also I read everybody there was to read, and, and I... And I you know, I got a I got a literature degree in college, so so you know I was always I liked to read, and when I was uh, younger, I read every baseball book we had in our school library, um, and and you realize that if you are going to write sports and you care at all about writing, baseball offers the greatest opportunity for that. It it you look at what are the best, I mean, except for a handful of exceptions exceptions here and there, the best movies are baseball movies, the best stories are baseball stories, the best books are baseball books. Um, and, and so I thought that that offered this rich opportunity to, to be able to write. Um, and so there was this kind of combina- combination of, you know, loving the game, uh, appreciating writing and, 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 and wanting to try to do that. Uh, and also, if you, if you take it right about that same time frame, I used to read Royko all the time. Um, he, he was my favorite columnist anywhere, you know, and, uh, we would get him, you know, he was syndicated, so we, we'd get, we wouldn't get the daily stuff, and we wouldn't get a lot of the Chicago ultra-centric stuff. But uh, he was, uh, I mean, he, one of a kind. And the, the voice and the, and the, and the strength of, of uh, uh, his, his style. Uh, so, you know, I'm, these are just people I read and who inspired me, and, you know, I don't, I don't know what anybody thinks of whatever voice I've developed over the years. Um, but uh, those, those, those are my primary inspirations. I want to talk about the Negro Leagues with you because we had a fun conversation off the air and on the air about your love for the, the Negro Leagues. Where does that come from? For a kid growing up in the what, Pacific Northwest. Suburbs. How, <laughs> Seattle area. How does that happen? Yeah, right? It, it, you wouldn't think. But, you know, it probably... Uh, you know, uh, look. Some, somebody, you know, the, to be a uh, to be a good journalist, what, what, you have to have natural curiosity, right? You, you 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 try to you try to learn things beyond. And what, what, like one of my favorite books years ago was uh, "Lies My Teacher Told Me." Did you ever read that book? No, I've never. But I'll put it on the list yeah, now. Yeah, check it. Check it out. I mean, it's it's twenty or maybe even thirty years uh, ago by by now. But um, you know, just this idea that. You know, we sort of get there's a curriculum that's this basic public school curriculum that's safe and that and it glosses over. You know, every every president was heroic. They also all looked alike. You know, the whole thing. Uh, you know, but we know that's not true. We don't. A lot of this stuff's not true. So, you know, sort of in a natural progression of I guess of I don't know, uh, being curious, reading more, learning more behind the scenes, and then you find out something that well they didn't tell me that or I didn't know that. The the Jackie Robinson story 
always fascinated me. I, I, I read uh, whatever there was to read on Jackie Robinson pretty early. And then as I got closer to being a baseball writer and learning more about baseball, I learned more about other players and, 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 and uh, you know, went to the Negro Leagues Museum. Uh, I did a, Before I covered the Cubs, all the teams I covered were in the American League. So I'd go to Kansas City. I'd buy a new hat every year at the museum. Um, and I'd, I'd go uh, talk to some people there and, and check out this, uh, the the uh, the stories and and then I've got all these history books I've, I've read on the about these players and it's just fascinating. I mean, one of the uh, I mean the more you learn, I mean it's 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 heartbreaking, and it's and it's its own rich history. I've, I've done some stories on these uh, on it in the past. Pittsburgh, and it, we, I think we've talked about this. Um, in the 30s in Pittsburgh, you had the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were the third best team in that city. And if, if the owner had had any balls, he could have had a dynasty because they had the Pittsburgh Crawfords, mm-hmm. which, which was a team in, in, the, in the Negro Leagues at the time that actually had the most money. Guy was running numbers, and he and he was an operator in, in the in the community in the Hill District. And you had the Homestead Grays, and you had the Homestead Grays, which were sort of uh, grassroots and scouting based, and and so they would produce some of the young players, and then the Crawfords would steal them, and guys were jumping contracts all the time. So Josh Gibson played for both teams. Satchel Paige kind of came and went. Um, you know, Oscar Charleston played for some of those teams. Probably the greatest, maybe the greatest player ever. Um, and uh, Buck O'Neill um, used to say that was the best player he'd ever seen play. Uh, and, and so, I mean, just these tremendous ball players. And, and you, you know, so now you start looking at pre-1947 history differently. Mm-hmm. And, and you start doing all these comparisons. And then and you, you know, it, it just... Even the idea of why Robinson... Absolutely. Over Gibson, Page, you know, like, even- Gibson might have wanted it more than anybody. He he, he died young, and and it, 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 there were rumors for years that you know, every time you know something, you know, every every time a a, a major league team would would send somebody and it'd be at a, a Negro League game or an exhibition game or something like that, you know, there'd be more rumblings, more rumors that. They're going to do it. This is when they're going to do it. Now, now it's going to happen. And for years, Josh Gibson thought, I'm going to be the guy. Um, and he, by talent level, he should have been one of the one or two or three guys. Um, but, you know, obviously, we, we've all, we all know the story. We, we all know that it, it went far beyond just the, the talent. You knew that the first guy was going to put up with so much. He was going to have to be so much more than just a great ball player. And and uh, so, you know, uh, a guy that was Hall of Fame caliber guy, but not the best player. And 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 Gibson Gibson died at what? I don't even know if he was 40 when he died. I think 38. Yeah. When he died. And, uh, in fact, I don't know. If I, did I tell you about going to his gravesite? No. Um, when uh, in one offseason in uh, it was a 2005, 06 offseason when I was in Minnesota. Um, the Twins, the the uh, All Star Game was going to be in Pittsburgh the next year, and not that I wasn't even thinking about this at that point. But when I went out to, uh, they sent me out to to help back up uh, some wild games, so I went on a Pittsburgh Philly trip, and uh, you know how easy it is to cover that crap. 
Um, it's like you go to the ball ballpark three and a half hours early is when when the clubhouse opens in baseball. It's like forty five minutes before the game or something yep. like that. You go to the skate around at, at noon or whatever time it is. You're you're gold at that point. You can do whatever you want the rest of the day. So I said, what am I going to do? And I said, wait a minute. I think Josh Gibson's buried out here somewhere. So uh, I Allegheny Cemetery in Pittsburgh, and I took a cab out there, and it was December. And it was uh, kind of quiet. There had been snow in recent weeks, but the, the, it was, you know, the, so there were patches of snow on the ground, and it was cold, but not super cold, and quiet. And I had to look for this. Like, I went to the office, and they gave me a map, and then I found the hillside where it is, and nobody was there, so I just, I just started looking. They said, it's on the hillside. So I just started looking. And there was one little plaque among many on this hillside had a couple of beat up baseballs um that somebody had put there and it was his and i thought my god it's one of the greatest players in the history of baseball this is his town and this is all there is and the only reason that there was even a marker there that had his name and that looked like all the rest was because major league baseball came in years earlier and paid for it there was an effort made to to market because it was I don't know might have just been a number before that and I remember sitting there and uh, I just sat there for a little while and and, and kind of soaked in what I knew about the history and just thought about it I'll tell you at the risk of you know getting get kind of stupid and 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 uh, and sappy on this so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about what this guy went through, and I'm looking at the dates and seeing how young he died. And uh, I'm just kind of soaking it in. I got all kinds of time because I don't have to be at a stupid hockey game for hours. And all of a sudden, in this very, very, very quiet setting, and I'm the only one there, I hear this loud rustling in the, 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 the brush, the woods up on top of the hill behind me. And I looked behind me, and, and I didn't see anything at first. And then I heard it again, and I looked up, and there was this massive deer. And uh, holy crap, so I just looked at him, and he kind of looked at me, and, and then, uh, and then uh, eventually kind of went on his way and then took off. And I thought, all right, well, some kind of sign? What, what is this all about? And, you know, I, anyway, it was, it, 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 the, ex the whole experience just kind of moved me. And uh, for wh whatever any of that's worth. And I remember going back to uh, when, when spring training started, that next spring, um, I told you about some of the some of the guys that that I've developed relationships with over the years. Tory Hunter was one of those guys with the Twins, and so uh, I went up to Tory and we'd had conversations, I, and I said, "Hey, uh, in the off season, I went to Pittsburgh. I described a little bit of it. I told him, I said, it dawned on me this might be something you'd be interested in seeing. If if it is, let me know because." The Cubs went to Pittsburgh. I mean, the Twins went to Pittsburgh that year. I said, because if you're interested, I can rent a car. Or, or, or I'll show you where it is. If, he said, yeah, that would be great. And so as we got closer, I said, you still want to do that? I'll make the arrangements. He said, yeah, are we going to have a photographer? And I'm thinking, this, I wasn't even asking him for a story. And I said, oh, well, uh, sure. I mean, I, I, this was just, I just wanted to show you. And he, he said, no, we can do a story. 
man, he starts opening up. He starts telling me uh, his grandfather used to play, uh, you know, he's from Pine Bluff, and uh, his, his grandfather used to play semi-pro ball, and they would catch uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the teams coming back from spring training in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so his grandfather used to tell him all these stories about some of the old Negro League players. And, 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 he's, and uh, when I took him out there, it was, it was pretty cool. He really got a lot out of that. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a story I felt was uh, worth writing, and he, I mean, he, he basically carried a lot of it. And I did some research, too. Um, but uh, uh, that, was, that was one of my, my, my favorite stories to write. And I think, I think those are kind of important stories to write. What about the history of the game? Could MLB do a better job of sharing or expressing or allowing for? Because I, I, I always have felt like uh, Jackie Robinson Day itself, I think, is important. I don't like that everyone wears 42. I've always felt that you should designate a player. Like, there should be a player that embodies whatever aspect of Jackie your team wants to focus on. And then that player... Instead of making we're all the same, no, this, this guy is special because he's doing incredible work in the community or, or whatever. So that I think the telling— Isn't that just as exploitative, though? Yes, it is. It is. But I'd rather that than everyone wearing 42 because I feel like it gets lost with everyone wearing the number. It, it loses I like the white guys wear it. I, I agree. And, and for I, me, it, it, it can be whomever on your roster. It, whomever that player is, and if it let's say that it's um, let's say that it's Anthony Rizzo, that you decided that Rizzo would be the guy to have the honor, that to me I think opens up a door of introspection that may not be there for that player if everyone's wearing the forty two because it just happens to be. Jackie Robinson Day that maybe gets him down a wormhole of learning and then being able to share the idea and ideals of Jackie Robinson versus, well, it's just kind of like a dress up day. Here's what I think about that. I, I, I think in an ideal world, that's outstanding. I think the way baseball would pull, would pull it off and the way the media would handle it, it would be a dog and pony show. Hmm. I think that there would be talking points. I think that uh, it, it, Adam Jones, all right? Adam Jones is, is point blank on this stuff. He, will, he, he doesn't spare words when he talks about this. Now, he's not out there ripping people. He, he's, he's a bo- he sees both sides of the issue, all sides of the issue. But he'll tell it like it is, um, unvarnished, whatever his opinions are, Right. And we, you know, we've seen it. it. You know, a few years ago, he he made headlines when he said it's a white man's game, and that's why you don't see the Colin Kaepernick type of of, of uh, protests. And he's right. Uh, baseball doesn't want that, so I doubt you're going to get that on a, in a in a very. Uh, you might get moments of it, and then as soon as those those moments are are publicized, then the next year you won't hear any of it. Um, I think that's the problem with it. At least by doing it this way, you, you know, a kid's in the stands uh, with his mom or dad at the game and says, why is everybody wearing 42? Um, and maybe, a, maybe they learn something. 
maybe a story gets told. Um, or, or at least because of it, um, the writers can, t- or the broadcasters, can go down any road they want to. If, if you're good at this job, go, you go down that road. Go, go find somebody in the clubhouse to go down that road with and see if you can find somebody that's got that introspection. But don't leave it up to baseball because they'll make it a PR thing. That's fair, and and I I feel like they kind of have like it's why it's I agree part of the, with you. Part of the reason that I don't like it, totally agree with you. But you're they're not going to institutionalize anything that you're going to find ideal. I don't think. I I think that's that's going to be up again to uh, where ind- independent uh, media come in and, and ask those questions or talk or wh- or whomever. It's going to be a dialogue that comes that starts. That comes from the access outside, and and and, and then explores it inside, uh, with with people in the clubhouse and and executives. That's my take. Is there anything wrong with baseball, <laughs> Lawrence? You don't have enough time for this, <laughs> Lawrence. How old are you? Forty-four. I'm fifty-four. You know how many people younger than you love baseball? Not a lot. Not a lot. And that's where we are. I'm the demographic. You are. Uh, if you uh, look at the if you look at the numbers from the World Series and from the All Star Game, you're actually you're youngin because the the average age I want to say is 57 and a half or something like that. Yeah, and, that's the and, average age. And my daughter tells me I don't have much time left. So what does that say about baseball's future? If that's your demographic, that's that's it's not good. So what? So from what you've seen being in clubhouses as long as you have. Is it just a matter of other games have captured the public's attention? Or is there are there active steps that baseball could take to get some of that market share back? Yes, I, I, I think so. Um, one of the worst things that happened to baseball, I think, was analytics. I think in general that's one of the worst things that's, that's happened to sports. It's inevitable. I understand why executives do it in in a, in a microeconomic sense. It, it's it's it, it makes all the sense in the world. It's genius, all right. In a macro sense for sports in the game, it's terrible. They're even talking about robo lumps now. That that's awful for the game. Look, you know these guys are the 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 worst umpires are pretty damn good, uh, and and so. Yeah, there's bad calls. We all see them, and video exacerbates everything, and, and it, people want to get it right. This this constant search for uh, perfection by degrees is is uh, is a, is a is a fool's errand. In the mean, frame by frame stuff. Oh my god! Uh, so, first of all, you need to you need to rein in the the replay system for one thing. I, I mean, so I'm I'm getting in the weeds on some of this stuff, but look. The, the the kid Galarraga that lost the perfect game because of the play at first base years ago. Um, that it's, it's a classic example. That one needs to be reviewed, and, and it can be reviewed in a second. What you do is you have somebody upstairs uh, at every game, or or maybe it's every, somebody in New York uh, with, with a monitor on every game. I mean, I've been at their command center in New York. They have the it's it's it's, it's very there. easy. It's there already. All you have to do is. You know, like hockey, hockey uh, has a in system, Toronto, right? mm-hmm. yeah. But they have a system where they'll 
buzz if there's a problem. Right. Toronto will call and say in, in the replay center in Toronto, you guys got that wrong. Let's fix it. That's right how now. to do it. I agree. That's how to do it. None, none, you know, screw this challenge stuff. Look, you remember the play in the in the, the Cubs play in um, 2017 against the Nationals. Remember Lobaton? Yes. Um, he got picked off, um, but he actually beat the throwback. But his foot was above the bag. That's what I mean by the the we're going frame by frame. Where that's ridiculous. The guy obviously the guy's leg bounces off by a millimeter, and I he I, beat the throw. the The spirit of the rules is he's safe. Okay, it worked for the Cubs. God bless him. But that shouldn't that shouldn't be the result of that play. Uh, I mean, play the game. Um, play the game with humans. Uh, officiate the game with humans, and yes, where you have the, the Galarraga situation. Egregious. The Den- Denkinger play uh, in the 80s. Uh, yes, when you have those plays where everybody in the ballpark sees it, and the guy upstairs can be looking at the monitor and say, oh, no, that you, we got to reverse that. Boom. Reverse it. And the balls and strikes, forget it. Look, learn how to hit a pitch a half inch off the plate, all right? I mean, fundamental hitting. Uh, so... I get it. I understand why it is. And, you know, this is where we are. This is where we are in sports. Look at basketball, right? The, 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 the Zach Levine argument, you know, take more threes, you know, because uh, even if you shoot a lower percentage, you may score more points. Hey, that's – I get it. Is that game better than, than the Lakers and the Celtics? Uh, is that – It doesn't make Zach the best player that he can be. Yeah, right. Because you're asking him to do something. Well, he actually does it okay. Like, he does it pretty well. But could he be doing better if he didn't have this? You bring up an interesting what point. What about post-play? Do you see post-play anymore? You seven-footers taking three, they're four gone. shots. They're, they're, they don't exist. That game's no fun. Back-to-the-basket guys are done. I mean, come on. It's, it's like, a, you know, hitting singles in baseball don't, doesn't matter anymore. Unless it's, you know, game seven in the ninth inning and you got to run around second or third with two outs. Okay, yeah, we'll take a single now. But... They're not valued. Using the park. What what you said sparked something from a couple different conversations I had this week last week. And at some point I'll probably by the time this this we upload this version by the of the way, podcast. What, what, snow uphill and downhill, five miles, ten miles every day to every day every for me day. to go yeah. do that. I had the conversation with Joe Madden. He came on the radio show and he talked about alumni. And this was after I had had a conversation with the four guys that I do football with. I do Alex Brown, uh, Matt Forte, Olin Cruz, Lance Briggs. We do a football show together on NBC Sports That's Chicago. good stuff. Thank you. We have a lot of fun doing it. They were getting mad about the Bears, obviously. And they were talking about how they wish someone at the Bears would reach out to them. Because they have ideas and opinions. And they think that they could help the Bears do a better job of player procurement if they were involved. Now, not necessarily them, but people who have been around. And so that led me to ask a couple of ex-players. Uh, I asked a couple of ex-players about the idea of being involved with teams. And one of them relayed a story from uh, a, uh, someone who's working very high up in another football organization. I won't say who, but this person said, it's almost impossible for the ex-player to get involved, the alumni to get involved, because of what you're pointing out with the, the analytics. That part of the, the thing that's happened with sports is in this era of 
analytics, there's kind of only one type of person that gets hired to work in organizations. And I'm not I'm not shitting on it because I think in the Cubs case it worked out really well. And I often joke that I got I got uh into Yale and I would have probably been working for Theo at the newspaper at <laughs> Yale at the time because he's a couple years older than me or a year older than me. But that prototype person, the Theo Epstein prototype, Ivy League educated, well versed in numbers, understands organization. It's a lot easier for that person to find their way into an organization versus an ex-player who can give you something of the subjective to add to your team gumbo to figure out what things matter and what things don't. I completely agree. Now, if if you look at the Cubs media guide, you're going to find all these ex-players as special advisors. And so, you know, I do give Theo and Jed credit for trying to balance that. And Jed has at least a player background, like it's minor, but at least he was a guy who played, kind of. Right. What was it, Westland? Yeah. Uh, didn't he set some kind of record for saves? Yes. Yeah. So so, so there's that, yes. Um, so I give him credit, but I do, I, I agree with you on, on, on balance. I mean, that, yes, that's part of it. Although the game uh, was already... I guess becoming less popular or, or, or whatever. Look, the NFL is a amazing television game. It it, it, it is it, it's a, it's an experience at the stadium. Uh, it's better it, at home. It's much better at home, it, and they have they have mastered the art of packaging sports. And almost everything they do, it's it's really phenomenal. And you know, basketball has the pace and the and the and the just. I mean, when, when it's, it's okay. It's good on TV. It's great if you're up close and, and, you're, and you're at the, at the arena watching these guys. They're much bigger than, than in person than, than you think they are, even when you look at the roster and see them on TV uh, and, and, the, and the things they can do and, and the physical nature when there is, when, when there is play inside is, is phenomenal. Baseball is in, you know, was born in our agrarian times in the 1800s and, and into the early half of the 1900s and um, it, it was it was the only thing going and it was uh, the, the pace was I mean I think it's terrific it, the experience at the ballpark especially a place like Wrigley in the summertime um, especially for a day game is is really unique uh, and 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 I think that when you play the game there's so many types of of air quotes athletes that can play baseball can find something they can do in baseball and and there's nothing like connecting square with with a pitch and hitting a hitting a baseball somewhere there's nothing like that uh so playing it there's just this aesthetic element to it that should translate it doesn't it's fallen flat it's uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard for I love the game. It's hard to watch. If I wasn't so close to the game, I'm not sure how big a fan I would be today. Mm. Uh, I mean, you you sometimes have four hour regular season games. That's crazy. Uh, and and it's not because so much is happening. It's because so much less is happening, uh, which, which is it's the worst of both worlds. So that's a mess. And we can get into all the reasons why. Um, I joke, I joke, uh, 
sometimes with uh, with Jed and those guys, it, this is your damn fault. You know, all you guys in there getting all your damn grinders one through nine in Boston, and then everybody copied you, and, and now, you know, nobody wants to swing at a first pitch, and everybody's got to see five pitches every at-bat. Now the game takes forever, and, you know, half the time they're either walking or striking out. So uh, there's – look, we – you put the ball in play, and, and somebody's got to catch it and throw it to make an out. That's part of the game. And make when them it, make three plays. They got to pick it up, throw it, and catch it. And when it's not, the quality of the product for a consumer goes down or is lost. You know, the home runs. Home runs. Uh, when when, yeah, they're exciting. And they're still exciting. I mean, but they're so damn common. I mean, you got. You can't even. Sometimes it's hard to even tell who's who's a good power hitter or not. You get a guy hits twenty eight home runs. Is that is that good now? I I don't know. Is it? it yeah. But that's what I mean. Like that follow the leader mentality. It, it happens in everything. It's it's not. I don't want to just be picking on baseball because I mean obviously I was talking to Joe who's in baseball and then these guys who are in football and then some people who are in other sports. But the idea that there there seems to be almost like a bouncer at the door when it comes to people getting to the highest points of organizations unless they fit a certain criteria. And that criteria is difficult, especially if if we're talking about a player who probably didn't go to college in baseball. That That's rare that guys finish college playing baseball because they were in the minor leagues in, in most of their college years. So how does that person, how does that person, can they ever dare to dream to be at the top of an organization knowing that they don't fit what is now become routine in the way organizations are built? Uh, yeah, I wish there was an easy answer to that. You're, you're 100% right, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's going deeper and deeper. Front offices are bigger than they ever have been, and uh, when you <laughs> in the spring training, we we see more of them, more of the the front office just walking around the hallways and stuff than than we see during the regular season, and it's <laughs> they all look the same, they're they're all dressed the same, they look the same, they have the same haircuts, they all come from the same conference of schools. Um, I know that's what you're getting at. It's and, the truth. And it, it's an absolute truth. Uh, it's it's going to cycle back. Here's the thing. So w- one of the things you're seeing is like one of the ways that you would go from a playing career uh, and, and get yourself you, – you go coach in the minor leagues. You still do that. Um, go scout. Uh, so a lot of former players became scouts, and then some of them worked up and, and, and be, got into assistant GM jobs and then some uh, uh, GM jobs. That, that was a classic pipeline um, not too long ago. Uh, and, and so um, now you've got organizations run by, you know, look. Hedge fund I'm, people. You yeah. can say it. Well, the. The hedge fund people own the teams, and that and that's a trickle down effect. We can go into that. The history of baseball, how how teams are run and how teams are built, often and, and how much money is spent. Uh, go back and look at, at, at why. You know, you had individual owners, family owners, then you had corp, you had uh, media corporation owners, and and now you've got hedge fund uh, people, and 
and, and there's a reason why every team's worth a billion plus and teams are putting money in their pockets every year instead of some teams actually losing money. Nobody loses money anymore. But anyway, part of, part of what's happening is that they're, you know, streamlining the, the scouting processes or they're developing their own scouting processes. They're using so much more video and they're using so much more quantitative um, stuff. And scouts, on the, scouts in the field on the ground, um, s- some organizations are, are wiping out almost whole departments. And in other organizations, some organizations are, are holding strong in that regard. But one of the, you know, one, one breed of baseball people that's almost becoming extinct or in, endangered right now is, is the scout. And that's a big thing being talked about in the game. And those are the people you're talking about, you know, often, oftentimes the people that played the game. I think it's going to cycle back because – some of the things like some of the things that, that Theo criticized with the Cubs this this past year are things that would be addressed in a human way. Uh, and and, you know, for the record, I think we, we talked about this before. Like, I think Joe got out of that roster what he could. And I think Joe has a method that generally works. Now, you can you can argue that should he have done more? Could he have done more? You know, you don't change who you are, you know, when your your style running a team uh, but there's also there's also an element to the people you have playing for you how they go about their business what what's going to make them better are they going to make the people around them better the classic chemistry uh makeup of an individual player and, and the whole thing okay they're trying to quantify some of that too i mean you know with some of the tests they run prospects through and things um but i do think that ultimately whether this whether the nationals championship um with a very scouting heavy organization and 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 a starting pitching heavy uh team uh which is more classic than than the way some of these rosters are built now uh whether that's going to have an impact by itself I I, i don't know i think that's asking a lot but i do think that like everything else it's going to cycle back and the problem is, where will the scouting infrastructure be at that point? There's, there's going to be whole generations of scouts gone by then, uh, and there'll be, some, there'll be some scouts left. And, I, and you know, yeah, you can bring players in and, and try to rebuild it, and maybe it'll be as simple as that. Um, but once you've, once you've uh, eliminated the process, can you just restart that process? And who's going to do that? And who's going to know? Who's going to know to do that or know how to do that? I mean, my prediction is that, and it might be years and years down the road, there's going to be a whole generation of baseball writers and a whole generation of executives. They're going to treat this thing like it's a new thing, like we're going to, hey, we're bringing in former players and we're going to send them <laughs> out in the field, and we're going to learn about what what makes these guys tick even more than what what these what these you know bullshit metrics are telling us you know we need to find out who what the guys all about all right one more thing i want to ask you and it's it's it, in the same vein of advice for younger reporters industry obviously has changed a lot 
it's changed. I've been at the score for forever. I've been at the score for 21 years, which is crazy. Um, basically right out of college, I ended up there. And we're in a, a cycle. You need to expand your horizons, man. Yeah, I, but I am. I'm trying to. I'm trying to stay young by doing a little bit of everything, which is great. Yeah, just, and having House of L, which is like my own thing that yeah, awesome. that that, I, that can never be taken away because it, it belongs to me. So I'll always have a platform, which I was a key thing. But will you have this studio? No, but I can do it at home. Okay. See, the next time that you're on House of L, I'm just going to invite you literally to my house. All right. And, we'll, and then you can see my grandfather's gloves from the Negro Leagues. Oh, cool. I have them posted. I have them framed. Your grandfather played? Yeah, Chattanooga Chick Sauce. Oh, right. So, you know, I, I got those in the house. You could see those. And we can just you can be on the couch. And my, my, my wife's a former bartender. She'll make you drinks. Like the whole thing. She ever work at the Cove? She did. Really? She, when? Because yes. I used she, to live down there. She worked at the Cove. God, I think maybe she only stopped working at the I'm sure she served you. I'm, I'm certain that she served you. Like 07, 08? Yeah. Oh, she must have served me. Yeah, uh, you know, short, uh, feisty brunette. Uh, that, that's that's my wife. Yeah, she she bartended at the Cove yeah. for a really long time. Mouthy, very mouthy, and a big sports. Yeah, I think fan. I met her. Yeah, I'm sure you have. I'm I'm sure that that you met Mel because she's a troublemaker for sure. But for for someone who wants to break in, you already gave some really good advice about being an expert in your field and really working when you walk into a clubhouse. What would you tell the person that says, eventually I want to do things the way that Gordon did them? How do I go about <laughs> doing that? Get some better advice. <laughs> That's for starters. Um, you know, it just goes back to, to, again, what I said. Look, be in this not because of sports. Be in it because of your line of work, which is journalism, right? Be in it because you want to cover something and and you and you want to find out things, uh, you know. That's a tough. That's that's a tough to be like me. I, again, I don't know why you'd want to be like me, but um, know your subject, um, dive in, uh, have ideas, bring a lot of ideas to the table. No, before you walk in to a clubhouse. Know, know what the stories of the season are that day. Know, know what the stories worth telling that day are or the people worth talking to that, that, that can tell you something about what's going on with them or the team. Before you ever start, don't, don't worry about what anybody else says. Don't worry about what, what the other what the other outlets are, are writing or what they think is important. Know your stuff well enough that you know what's important and that it might be something entirely different. It might be the same thing. It might be enti entirely different. Um, when I, uh, I've always worked at the secondary papers in the market when I've covered baseball. And so, uh, you know, when, it, when I was, you know, the L.A. Times was a big paper when I was out covering the Angels. The Seattle Times was the bigger paper when I was covering the Mariners. Um, the Star Tribune in Minneapolis was a bigger paper when I was in Minnesota. And they had their way of doing things, and I went my own way. And uh, a lot of times it was something entire. most of the time it was entirely different than what they were doing. But I was always looking, always looked for big-picture stories. I always looked for why is this happening, where are these, where, where is this headed, and then looking 
at the landscape of the industry and how it either affects my team or how my team's impacting that. Uh, and then, you know, as long as you're, you know, you, you continue to work on stuff like that, the stuff, the everyday stuff will take care of itself as you're working on that. And sometimes you'll find out things that nobody else finds out. Cool. We are done, sir. I appreciate you doing this. Hey, this, this was great, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Gordon, as per usual. I didn't I didn't tell the story. We spoke about it a little bit when we, he was talking about the Negro Leagues, but Gordon gave me a Homestead Grays cap because he already had a couple, and you heard him talking about the Grays, and we were discussing it. And it was funny because we were we were in the Cubs locker room, and there was a player, I'm not going to say who, there was a player who, who didn't know what it was, who thought it was a, a Georgetown cap. And we were discussing, we ended up having a, a conversation on the air a little later on about how some of the stuff in the, the Negro Leagues gets lost. And then after it was over, I was telling him, you know, my grandfather was one of those guys like um, he was talking about where he was playing in in the semi-pros and in the, the, the Negro Leagues down in Chattanooga. And I have his gloves at my house so I gotta get Gordon over to the house so that he can see the gloves because I think that he would he would really enjoy it I'm I love that episode I I think there is some some fierce advocacy for great sports journalism in there and all it is is just being a great journalist or trying to be a great journalist and that that can apply to sports where I think a lot of people find sports to be a little bit of a friendlier way to do the journalism thing versus covering local politics or national politics or um, just covering the police, any of that stuff. And I think Gordon's right that it's okay to dig a little deeper, to be a little bit more probing, but make sure that you're on point when you're doing that stuff. So a big thank you to him. And as I said, there's going to be some bonus Cubs material here for you as well. You can email the podcast at houseoflpodcast at gmail.com the way that Greg has. Greg says this. Lawrence, I just wanted to write to say how much I really enjoy House of L podcast. I'm a California native that went to Northwestern, and I knew I wanted to get back into broadcasting when I heard your nighttime show for the first time. From then on, I pretty much listened to your show on the score whenever I could. My college experience was the best time of my life, and I owe a lot of it to you for giving me the spark to learn the craft and build it into a career. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. I spent the last five years as a minor league baseball play-by-play guy and have now moved into the production side of things. My first two years out of college, I was working in Iowa and could still listen to you, but I left for the West Coast in 2017 and couldn't make the extra effort to listen to your show online. Well, that sucks. I discovered the House of L podcast by happenstance, and it brought me back to some of the happiest days listening to you talk to the likes of Goff and Ranji and others that I so thoroughly enjoyed during my time in Chicago. So thank you. What you've done with this podcast means more to me and others like me than you'll ever know. I did want to ask, when are you going to have Terry Bores on? I think Terry would be an amazing guest and someone that a lot of score faithful would love to hear from. Keep up the amazing work, and thanks for always being yourself in whatever you do. 
That's from Greg. Greg, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm glad. It's so weird. I actually, it's strange, like, how many different mediums, like, I've been working in and what the effect could end up being. I had a conversation with a a young baseball writer that I'm going to do some stuff with. He doesn't know that, although he might know that now because he listens to House of L, that I'm going to have on a little bit more frequently, that I'm going to try to use my platform to give him a platform. And he was saying how much he likes House of L. Now, he started, of course, listening to me on, on the score, but he was saying how he's glad that I'm back to doing House of L's weekly because he needed them. So it's it's interesting, like, the impact that you can have on people in different forms. Like, there are people who only know me from the football after show or only know me from when I was at Channel 5 or only know me nationally from the stuff I did with Michael Kim at 120. And, and now there's the podcast people. So I'm all for it. I'm glad that it's... Um, that people can take something out of it because, quite honestly, that's the whole point of House of L. The whole point is to share stories with great storytellers and be somewhat of a guide for people who want to get involved in the business. And I think that we've done that. I think that there's so much knowledge like wrapped into these 90 episodes if you're if you're someone who wants to do this there are a lot of people to whose experience that you can listen to and draw from and that's part of the reason why we did it so i'm glad that greg enjoyed it and i'm glad that we were able to help him out and i'm glad that he is progressing in what it is that he wants to do and maybe he'll be a guest on house of l someday that's gonna wrap it up for this portion of episode 89. Now, I haven't even tried to upload the bonus stuff yet, so I'm going to try, and hopefully it's available to you. And then you can hear me and Gordon for a few minutes talking about the Cubs. If not, I'll make it its own separate episode, 89 and a half or whatever, so you can get your Cubs fixed before the Cubs convention. Thanks to everyone who listens and champions this podcast. Please go give it a review. It helps with placement with Apple. I Trust me. Just do it. Give us five stars. Write a review. Say, I really like Gordon Widmeyer. Or, I really like the podcast. It's, it's more helpful than you know. We got some cool stuff coming up. I got some ones that are already in the can that are awesome. Some great guests. Some throwbacks. It's going to be awesome. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Peace. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.